This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Let's look at his word together tonight. I'm continuing as Pastor Jason has been teaching in Matthew chapter 10, and you're familiar with the passage where Jesus sends out the 12. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And I'm going to cover uh, a few verses here that I think you'll find fascinating tonight. Jesus says, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you'll be handed over to courts and you'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you're arrested, don't worry about how you're going to respond or what you will say because God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Not the spirit of your God. This is very personal. It is the spirit of your heavenly father. And I don't care what has been your lot in relationship to your earthly father. I want you to know tonight you have an amazing heavenly father who loves you and is dedicated to see you benefited and serving your purpose to your generation. A brother will betray his brother to death. The father will betray his own child and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Tonight, Lord, we just want to hear a word from you. We will remember when Mary, at the wedding feast at Cana, instructed those around Jesus, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's what we want to do tonight. Whatever you tell us to do from your word and as you inspire us by your spirit, we want to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin with a contextual view of this passage. What I mean by that is we want to examine this passage within its historical and cultural context prior to attempting to apply it to our lives. Because that's the way scripture was meant to be studied. We need to know what he meant to those he said it. And what he said was to the 12 apostles. Not to the 70 others also. Not to the early church. Not to believers through the century. He said this to 12 individuals specifically. He commissioned 12 hand-picked apostles. Now, it's interesting. We 
in the testimony shared earlier, there was reference made to a person, uh, maybe a, a non-believer, almost a convert, but really not familiar. And we read this passage and we are, we're, we're referencing apostles and we immediately think, wow, apostles. But you re- need to realize these apostles were not saved. Nobody's saved. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the 12 apostles are not saved because Jesus hasn't yet died and been raised. He hasn't yet said, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? So realize what's going on here. He's just taking people that have been spending time with him who are on the way to becoming disciples, but they're not disciples. It's interesting. They're, what they are is they're really, they're really disciples who will become converts. And even as I taught it yesterday, we make converts and try to help them to become disciples. Do you know where the fastest growing church is in the world today? The fastest growing church today. I heard China. The fastest growing church in the world today is in Tehran, Iran. Mostly led by women. And you know how they build it? Well, Jesus builds it. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And while we're building our mega churches in America, Jesus is sweeping through the Islamic world and turning it right side up. It's amazing what's happening. And you know what they do? They, find, they pray and they find someone who's open. And then they go and talk to the open person. And if that person remains open, they tell them about that you need to pray. You need to pray to God. And you need to start to follow him. And after meet with, meeting with them a time or two, this one person will tell this other, and if you have any friends that you think would be open to this, invite them. And if more than one person comes, now there's two or three, they start a church. I'm serious. They plant a church with those three people. They don't have buildings. There's no institution, no Bible schools. Those three people have no idea what's going on. Those three people are sort of in the school like the apostles were following Jesus. They just happen to be following someone who might have got saved a week ago who's just a little bit further ahead on the path. And what they do is they disciple them by telling them how they are to follow God by sharing the apostles' doctrine and by being in fellowship. And in time, they convert. They start with disciples and then they get them converted. And here we are trying to make converts, a lot of whom never become disciples. And when persecution comes, they'll tell you in Iran, the converts run away. The disciples have made a decision, we're going to follow Jesus. And they make a decision to give up everything, and they pledge their lives. We in America are not ready for that kind of a commitment. We don't understand that. We're too busy. We're too rich and increased with goods. In fact, we have need of nothing. 
In fact, we send our missionaries over to those places when what we really need is some of those people to come and talk to us. It's the truth. I think I got a little off track, but it was good. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it gives us a little more insight about the choosing of these apostles. It says, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples together and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. You say, I want to be an apostle or a prophet, or a pastor, evangelist, or teacher. You know what an apostle is? It's a Greek word that means sent one. That's all it is, a sent one. The closest proximity to that than the church today is a missionary. In fact, Candace called me Pastor Jim, but my call from the outset was missionary evangelist. But God also gave me teaching gifts. The Holy Spirit would teach through me and I love people, so we'd, we'd try to shepherd the flock. But of course, gather people around that could do all those things. And as a result, back in the 80s and 90s, hundreds of people came to Christ here in Salt Lake City in our ministry. It was amazing what God did with a bunch of 20-year-olds. And I look out at you, and there's a lot of 20-year-olds here, and I think it's amazing. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, so much greater than the first time. Mark 13, 13 gives us a little more insight about the 12. It says, and he appointed 12 for two reasons. You got to have this in your heart already. Two reasons he appointed the 12. Number one, so that they might be with him. It's all about fellowship with God. It's about the father seeking worshipers. He wants relationship with us. That's number one. He doesn't call us so he can put us to work. He calls us so we can be with him. He loves us that much. And so that he might send them out to preach, to proclaim. He wants them to be with him, and he wants to send them. That's what an apostle is. And so he sends them. And he says to them, I am sending you where there is opposition. Jesus told us, he said, if they oppose me, they'll oppose you. And in reality, as I study their sending... I think it may, may have been a dry run or a rehearsal because a lot of the things that he said were going to happen to him didn't happen right away. In fact, when he sent out the 70 after he sent the 12, it's recorded in Luke chapter 10, it says they came back just so excited, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They didn't face a lot of persecution or trouble. Demons were bowing down and fleeing the scene. And Jesus, of course, told them, don't rejoice that the demons bow to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Keep your perspective. The real opposition doesn't begin until after Jesus is arrested. After he's arrested, tried, crucified, and raised, commissions the church, that's when the opposition begins. So he sends them as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so let's just sort of highlight the things that he told them would happen. They will be flogged. They were. They were flogged. They were beaten. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. They will stand before governors and kings. The apostle Paul stood before Herod Agrippa, governor Porcius Festus, and 
Emperor Nero, who was the fifth Caesar. That's recorded in Acts 25, verse 22, and all of chapter 28. They stood before the Sanhedrin, and God gave them the words to speak. They were arrested and brought before the entire council. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and said, and then did he preach a message. He says, all nations will hate you. Israel hated them. Gentile nations, nations hated them. All hated them. Jesus even says family betrayal will be commonplace. For even, according to John chapter 7, verse 5, his own brothers didn't believe in him. You remember last time I was here, we talked about James, who became the leader of the church at Jerusalem, a non-believer during Jesus' lifetime, converted after the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection. Unbelievable. That's fantastic. Nevertheless, the response to persecution is not to shut down. It's not to go home. It is not to regroup, but it's to move on. When persecution comes, Jesus says, move on to the next town or village. Amazing. In fact, Paul the apostle did this. He'd go from town to town, community to community. And he was persecuted in almost every city. He'd start in the synagogue and they'd persecute him and then go into the city and then he'd be arrested and he'd go to the next town. Remember Paul? There was an uproar in Thessalonica. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. And there... Their testimony, the people of the town, is the men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Wow. So we're not talking about just simple door-to-door, hi, can I share my message with you or talk to you about my church? We're talking about power evangelism and setting captives free. That's what was taking place. Now let's look at verse 23. Quickly, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. This is a difficult passage. It has been argued through the centuries. And many claim that this must refer to the 70 AD judgment of Israel when Jerusalem was overtaken by General Titus. Or certainly, if not that, it refers to the second coming of Christ at the end of the age. I instead will suggest to you, we can take this promise literally and immediately. Thus interpret it. The Son of Man will return. As a reference to the fact that Jesus rejoined his disciples, the apostles, after their short mission. Support for this first is that the phrase, the Son of Man will return, and it's in any other version, it doesn't matter, This is never used by Matthew to describe the second coming of Christ, either to judge or to set up his kingdom. Never used. Second is, the disciples went literally and immediately out into the towns of Israel to preach. And Jesus literally and immediately rejoined them after their brief itinerant ministry. So don't get bogged down. A lot of people get so bogged down in that passage that that they'll throw out all of Matthew chapter 10. There's so much meat in chapter 10 we need to focus on. So let's now move. So we've looked at that first century application. Let's Let's move to this contemporary time. 
Because we know that there was application to the 12. And we know there was application to the 70 others that he sent also. And we know that there was application to all the disciples and those that he commissioned before he ascended. And there was application uh, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit on, on the day of Pentecost and throughout the church age. But there's also application of these passages to us today. Just keep in mind as you're sharing that with, with someone else that you, you acknowledge that he really was talking to the apostles, those first century apostles. Look at John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever, yes, the Father in my name, he will give you. Skip to verse 18. If the world hates you, Keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The point is, Jesus continues this calling of individuals throughout time and eternity. He's still calling people. He's still calling people to be with the Father and that he might send them out to preach. In the Great Commission itself, Jesus instructs the apostles, teach the people that you make disciples, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. Everything I commanded you, command them. Everything you've done, they're to do. That's the model. I modeled it for you, you watched then I sent you to do it. Now you model it for them and watch them do it. It's very simple. The apostles are to teach their converts. And so the apostle Paul instructs Timothy, who's a young leader, a young, a young leader in the church. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, Timothy, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. That's the discipleship process. You've watched me do it. You've heard me say it. Now you receive it, and then you commit it, deposit it into others who will be able to teach others too. And that's how Christianity grows, like wildfire. Unbelievable. So we can certainly properly apply Christ's guidance in Matthew 10 to all believers who go. But remember this, he did appoint us to go. And if in America we decide just to stay, don't expect to see everything that he promised to those who go. We got to be willing to go. That's what he's called us to do. And herein, he provides instructions to those he sends. So these are instructions that we can receive. He says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So the players are Christ, the believers, and the unbelieving. Christ, who is he? He is the shepherd. Who are the believers? They are the sheep. Who are the unbelieving? They're the wolves. Now we know that it is the duty of the shepherd to watch over and to protect their sheep, particularly from the wolves. Isn't that true? 
Why in the world would a shepherd send his sheep into the midst of the wolves? And yet Christ, the great shepherd, is sending them to be among the wolves. It is common for wolves to be in the midst of the sheep. But here, the sheep are sent into the midst of wolves. It's an oxymoron. The first shall be last, right? It's exactly what it is. But what could be more stealth than to send God's presence and purpose into the world through unassuming sheep? He is brilliant. It's the kingdom's Trojan horse. The assumption is that sheep are helpless. The general consensus is sheep are dumb animals. They're stupid, defenseless, and harmless. They're good for only two things. Being eaten and producing wool. That's the world's perspective. Wolves, on the other hand, are instinctively killing machines. They hunt to kill to eat. So they can hunt to kill to eat. So they can hunt to kill to eat. That's what they do. It's their nature. Similarly, unregenerate people, that's non-believers, naturally reject God. It is not natural to be a believer. It is unnatural. Because we have the bloodline of our earthly father, Adam. We have a rebellious nature from birth. And it's natural for us to be selfish and to do our own thing. We not only reject God, we reject those he sends. Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you, hears me. Wow. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, Jesus says, rejects him, the Father who sent me. In John chapter 8, verse 42, listen to what Jesus says. If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Listen to what Jesus is saying to humanity. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Back to the sheep. Sheep get a bad rap. As an example, to be a sheep is to be someone who mindlessly follows others, right? You just follow the crowd like a sheep. 
But do you realize that sheep have many noble characteristics? For instance, sheep stick together. Sheep follow well. Jesus says to fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of fish. No, fishers of men. But you got to follow me. Don't let it be said of us that we don't follow. If we follow, he'll make us effective. And sheep follow well. In reality, sheep are actually surprisingly intelligent. They have impressive memory and recognition skills. I remember many occasions in driving through Colorado ranch country or farmland in the European countryside during my life. And I've commented to those with me, look at those amazing sheep. Because I understand this. And I've often been greeted with a gasp. Sheep are stupid. No. Sheep, they build friendships. They stick up for one another in fights. And they feel sad when their friends are sent to the slaughter. In a, in a case study by the University of Electronic Science and Technology in China, they said, quote, sheep showed clear behavioral signs of recognizing human individuals. They also found evidence that sheep can differentiate facial expressions and that sheep prefer a smile to a frown. The Australian Governmental Scientific Research Organization did a study on sheep intelligence. I mean, what do you do when you have all these PhDs around and you've, you know, you've, you've, done, you've studied everything you know to study? You study sheep. <laughs> and they discovered that sheep can learn how to navigate out of complex mazes. Interestingly, the sight of their fellow sheep friends awaiting them at the finish of the maze helped them to reach the exit quicker. These are important things. Finally, researchers from the University of California observed that rams, which are male sheep, established firm friendships and they looked out for one another in times of need. Quote, rams were found to form long-term relationships. They intervened on behalf of weaker colleagues and they supported each other in fights. End quote. And so Jesus sends out the 72 by 2. I like going with somebody else. I like being with brothers and sisters. I like supporting each other. It's amazing. And as far as defending themselves, they can deliver a painful kick to anyone who gets too close. And did you know this? Sheep can also run fast. And they, 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 they can scale steep cliffs that many predators are not equipped to handle. And one other thing, their peripheral vision is impressive because they have horizontal slit-shaped pupils that allow them to see behind themselves without turning their heads. 
sort of like the believer who doesn't realize they might be walking into a trap, but they hear the still small voice of their God and they have insight from heaven as they go in Jesus' name. It's powerful what God will do through us. So the point is this, use your sheep sense when you're among the wolves. Don't assume that you're defenseless among the ravaging wolves, for it is the good shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, that has sent you thus. And in any hostile environment, when sheep realize they have no real protection, they come together. We should learn from that. Not separate. Not the rugged individualists, but those gathering as you are. Well, this commentary sets up Christ's invaluable instruction to all those who go. He says, because I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. This is like the first reunion since Noah's Ark. We got four animals in this one, one passage. We've got sheep and wolves. Now we've got serpent snakes and doves. See, the world is intentionally hostile to God and his followers. And what we have here is a simile. And a simile is a figure of speech that compare two unlike things, serpents or snakes and doves. And what Jesus is giving here is how-to instruction. He says, if you're going to go, if you're going to be sent by me, this is how to do it. How to carry out the ministry. How to do it as sheep in the midst of wolves. You see, wolves are intentional about the harm that they want to inflict on the sheep. And Jesus instructs us how to be Christ-like in a godless world. He says, here's how you do it. You combine the wisdom of the serpent and the harmlessness of the dove. Now, how many of you are a little uncomfortable even thinking about emulating the behavior of a serpent or a snake? That, that could be common. But Jesus has got a point to make here, and he doesn't want us to miss it. If we contrast, the serpent or a snake is subtle, crafty, and shrewd. Snakes are sneaky. The dove is innocent and harmless. The dove is peaceful. And Jesus says you need to combine these two in a Christian's character, it's necessary to advance the kingdom of God and the opposing cultures that we're a part of. It's important for us to realize that the serpent's shrewdness is an asset. It's not a deficit. Jesus tells us, be wise and innocent as you represent me. As we take the gospel into a hostile world, be wise. Avoid the traps that are being set for you. And be innocent Serve the Lord blamelessly. See, Jesus, Jesus modeled this. He was gentle. And yet, when occasion demanded it, he could chase out the money changers from the temple with a whip and with strong words. His teaching exhibited wisdom, perceiving the attitudes of his audience. While he shared wise, or we could call them shrewd parables, which he used to do two things. Weed and feed. Jesus shared things that really ticked people off. The people that hated God. The people that were opponents. Really made him mad. He was weeding his garden. But he also uses parables to feed those who listen. Let's be listeners. 
Paul lived harmlessly, innocently, and yet shrewdly. He asserted his citizenship rights when he was trapped in a corner by the wolves. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. He was wise as a serpent and yet harmless, innocent as a dove. So the key here is balance as we're sharing our faith. Be gentle without being a pushover so that we can optimize our gospel-sharing opportunities. Remember, snakes are very careful and discerning and prudent how they act. You ever watched a snake move into a new environment? It's hiding. It's waiting. It's watching, observing. But serpents know when to seize the moment and strike. As believers, we need to observe. God sends you somewhere. You don't need to walk in the door. Oh, God sent me here. I'm here. I want you all to know that. Better to move in quietly. Observe. Evaluate. But be ready. Not to strike in a negative way, but be ready to move as God directs you. The Holy Spirit, he'll tug on your, on your shoulder. You'll know it's time. Isn't it interesting that Satan, Lucifer, used the serpent to dupe the human race? And Satan is symbolized by the serpent. On the other hand, the dove is gentle and harmless. Isn't it again interesting when the Holy Spirit descends at Jesus' baptism, he takes the form and is symbolized by a dove. And so to wrap up tonight, this is how he's commissioning us to go. As sheep among wolves. Maybe right now it's not so bad in America. We don't know what's coming. We don't know for sure what's coming. I mean, we pray that it remains where we have opportunity to take the message anywhere, any place, anytime. But tragically, so many do not take advantage. But as we go, we need to be aware there are opponents all around us who hate us because they hate our God. They hate Jesus Christ. There is a spirit of antichrist that's prevalent in the earth, and many people have embraced that, and they choose to follow that rather than follow the Lord. Mark 16, verse 20 says, And they went out and they preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Acts 1.8 puts it this way. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That day, several thousand people committed their life to Christ. Day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. And Peter stood up to preach, and after he finished, this throng of people responded and surrendered their lives to Christ. And then Peter, speaking about the Holy Spirit and this empowerment that they'd witnessed, said to them, this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
what Peter says is this, this empowerment is for all of the hearers on the day of Pentecost and for their kids. And then he said, and it's for people everywhere. But then he said this, it's for people of all time. That's how I know God is still calling today. That's how I know when he called me, and you know, the proof is always in the pudding, because he called me, and then when he kind of pushed me out from under the cover, maybe to, to try my wings, people responded. I thought I made a mess of things and somebody got saved. I didn't even understand what I said and they got filled with the Holy Spirit and started sharing their faith with other people. These promises are to you. I think it'd be great to fill this place. I think every seat should be full. But it's really not the point. It's not about building our church. It's about what do you want us to do? And I'm not saying he might say, well, okay, just go home and don't do this anymore. No, but sometimes we lead someone closer to God and then we send them somewhere else because that's where they'll be fed. So it's not just about what we're doing. It's about something so much bigger than what we're doing. It's about what he's doing. That's what we want to be a part of. And you have all the tools and all the necessary virtue from heaven to do it. You say, well, we need to be trained a little more. We need to, we need to grow a little more. We need... You got everything you need. We've already got everything we need. We have convinced ourselves that we need all this stuff that we don't need. We've already got it. We just got to start doing it. Just do it and see what God does. Maybe some of you here tonight, you say, God's been, he's been pulling on me and I don't even know what it means. I, I feel him calling me. He could be calling you tonight just to make a commitment to him, to have fellowship, to be with him. Or he could be calling you to serve in his kingdom. Could be in a local church, could be somewhere else, or he could be calling you to be a leader in the body of Christ. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He does all those things still. It's amazing what he does. It's amazing. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's stand up. I'm going to close in prayer. I don't want to invite anybody that maybe wants to make a commitment to Christ. We do that every week, but I also want just to make a moment. If you have children, we welcome you to go and get them at any time at 6.30. You can bring them out. They can come back in here with us. We want to be really sensitive to our workers in the children's area. We appreciate them so much. But let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Whatever you say to us, we're going to do. We want to do whatever you're saying to us. I believe you still speak to people today. I believe you could be speaking to my daughter. You could be speaking to Candace. You could be speaking to any one of us. Whether we're playing an instrument, we're running a sound, we're making coffee, we're sitting here, learners, followers, 
you can speak and we will listen and we will follow. You might say tonight, Jim, I've never accepted Jesus. I've never opened my life to God like that you're talking about. It. I've been religious or, or I haven't been religious. I've been an antagonist of religion and church. I'm just here to tell you tonight that God loves you. This is not about joining a church or this church. This is about joining God because he's your father. He's the father of those that oppose him, but he loves you so much. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive today. And I open the door of my heart and I welcome you to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. You say, I don't understand all that, Jim. Just, just listen to what I said. Just do that. Just say yes to that. That's how disciples begin. They just say, okay. Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishermen. And now Jesus just tells the disciples, just do this. And they got a choice. Either do it or they can go do their own thing. And God is saying to you tonight, do you want to follow me? Just say yes to him. Jesus says, you just need to repent. What does repent mean? It means have a change of mind. Quit thinking that you got it all figured out and realize that he's got it all figured out. Have a change of mind about who he is. He's God and we're not. And then let him change you from the inside out because that's what he'll do. You pray a prayer like this. Father, I believe you send Jesus. I receive him in my life. Save me now. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. And if you do that, it's done. And you can tell anybody you meet that very same thing. And you know, if you tell enough people that, some people will do it. Some people will just do it because they're ready. Amen. Well, some of you here tonight, you may have that, that, tug, on, that tug on your heart. It's it. Some of you, it's in your gut. You just feel it. Some of you, every time you go to a service and somebody's teaching, you find yourself, when any, any, any scripture is read, you find yourself hearing other scriptures in your mind. You're turning through your Bible and you may have a teaching passion or a gift or, or maybe a leadership gift. There's different ways that God will call. Some of you, you hear his voice. You hear him talking to you. It's amazing what God's doing in Iran. You know how he's reaching these women? Some of them, it's because somebody talks to them. You know how a lot of them are being reached? They're having dreams. God is coming to them in their dreams. You say, that can't be. We can't trust that. I would believe in America, we probably wouldn't trust that because we think we got to go through our order. And we got to have, you know, the local board and we got to have the leadership team and we got we to approve everything. Jesus is doing it without us. Start praying for Iran because the world is being turned right side up. And you know an amazing thing about what's happening in Iran? The believers in, in Iran, the largest church, the fastest growing church in the world right now, it's larger in China, yes. The fastest growing the church, love Israel. That's unbelievable. Is, Islam wants to destroy Israel and there's this uprising of Christians, believers in Iran, that are praying for the peace of Jerusalem and that identify with the persecution that's going on of Israel. And the Christian in Iran loves the Jew. That's a God thing. So just everybody close your eyes just for a second, just out of respect for one another. I like it always open in public because Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And if you don't, I won't.
But just for this, just close your eyes for a minute. Just slip your hand up if you sense God's been calling you from a child, from a teen. In recent years, you feel like God's been calling you. Just hold your hand up. Just hold it up. That's good. A number of you. Yeah, a number of you. Just hold, just keep them up. Just keep them up and surrender to God. Just, just by having your hand up, just say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I am willing. I am available. I will go. I am yours. And it's powerful. Whenever you feel it, just tell him, yes. Yes, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll be. I will do if you will do through me. I would not be here tonight if God hadn't done it in me. And he will do it in you because he loves you and he wants your life to have purpose. He is so amazing. And he's looking for people that are ready to sell out because the time is getting close. And he's looking for people who just say, Lord, send me and I'll go. He might send you across the street or he might send you around the world. I don't know. But I want to be willing to go. And I hope you are too. Lord, take these. These your people. These your disciples. I hope disciples that are already converts. But take these and use them for your glory. Treasures in earthen vessels and glorify your name in all the earth through them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.